if you could turn with me to Acts chapter 15, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 18. Starting at Acts chapter 15, verse 1, and Luke's the author, and he writes, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail, in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you and, and praise you for this beautiful passage, and help us to hear what, what you have to say to us when it comes to how to respond to false doctrine, false teachers. We want to just destroy the church. But help me, Father, to be clear and understood. Help me to preach in a way that, that builds us up, that convicts us of our sin, that trains us in righteousness so we can go out there and fight the good fight for the sake of Christ, that we can put on the full armor of God and with a gentle heart, speak the truth with a gentle heart in love to those around us. And also fight the false teaching that goes on with a gentle heart. So Father, help us. Help me. Pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Just Timmy, if you could quickly put up that map. Okay, so there is Jerusalem at the bottom. Some men, some men went um, down to Antioch. There's Antioch. That's where Paul and Barnabas are. And then they make a trip up to Jerusalem. The distance from Jerusalem to Antioch, there is 500 kilometers and back is another 500 kilometers. So last week we spent some time in Antioch, verses 1 to 5. Now we're in verses 1 to 6 where they are in Jerusalem. Thanks. So we're going to continue in our two-part series. We're going to continue with part one and with the second thing I have to say to help us as a church how to respond to false teachers. And that's the question I asked us last week. How should a church respond to false doctrine? How should we as a church respond to false doctrine when it arises? And it's a serious matter when false doctrine arises in the church. And by the word doctrine, like I said last week, means I'm referring to the teaching of Scripture. Something taught from Scripture. A truth that is taught from Scripture. And doctrine represents teaching that is considered authoritative. God's word is authoritative. Therefore, this doctrine needs to be sound so that we can go out there and live sound lives. Unhealthy doctrine brings unhealthy Christian living. Someone said... Without sound doctrine, there is no spiritual basis to delineate right from wrong. No doctrinal authority to correct sin. And no biblical encouragement to motivate godly living. You kill the church with false doctrine. You destroy the church. And the doctrine that is being destroyed here in, in, in this passage is the doctrine of grace, which is all about the doctrine of salvation. Verse 11 of Acts chapter 15, Peter tells us that we, that, that we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. But in verse 1 and 11, there are some men who belong to the Pharisees who come along and said, No, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And then you must keep the law. A false doctrine has arisen amongst these two beautiful churches, the Jerusalem church and the church of Antioch. So if you want to go back and catch up and you haven't been in church for on the 26th, I preached on that verse 11, on God's grace. So we get a big picture of what's, what's so important about God's grace when we come now to this passage. Last week was part one of the series and I looked at one thing to do with how we as a church can respond to false doctrine. And we looked at disturbance and now we're going to go on to our, our second thing. But we have to realize this, that when a false doctrine comes into a church, truth is under attack. Luther said, justification is the article by which the church stands and falls. Someone else said, grace is the article by which the gospel stands and falls. And you'll see that when you say it's grace through Jesus, plus other things like works, like in this situation, circumstance, and circumcision, you start adding to God's word. And when you add to God's word, you nullify God's grace. You destroy God's grace. And if you want a, want a proof of that, we just got to read a beautiful verse in Romans 11, 
where um, Romans 11 says, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And Paul goes on to say, If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, including circumcision. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. You destroy the gospel. You destroy the gospel of truth. And what is in danger when you destroy the gospel of grace, you destroy Christian truth. And you destroy Christian fellowship. Loving one another, working together in unity. We are united in Christ, working together as one body of believers. And when false doctrine comes in, it destroys that. It splits the church. How can the church see that we love Jesus if we do not love one another? So how should a church respond to false doctrine? Well, like I said, we're going to continue now with the second thing. But just recap on the first thing. And the first thing, just a small just recap, the first thing that we looked at last week was, was disturbance. And we saw that in verses 1 to 5, that a false doctrine was a threat to the doctrine of grace, doctrine of salvation. And this brings a disturbance, a disturbance that the gospel was in dispute, the gospel of truth. And these false teachers are thinking that Gentiles must become a Jew before they can become a Christian. And then they must obey Moses. They must become a proselyte. It's not enough for them to have grace alone through Jesus alone. In order to be saved. So this great disturbance comes along. They're adding to the scriptures. They're saying it's partly Jesus, partly grace. Partly circumcision, partly the law, and we are saved. But no, as we saw in verse 2, Paul and Barnabas debate with them, and then they are sent. What wonderful leaders, men that are concerned for the truth and for the love of the church. And they make this 500 kilometer trip up to Jerusalem because they are concerned for the love of Christ in the churches. They are faithful men, they are faithful leaders. And they're not letting these false teachers walk all over them. They're there to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Why? Because these men pervert the grace of God. And we do that today. You add to the scriptures today and you say it's grace plus something else. You pervert the grace of God. So the first thing that will help us to respond to false teaching is let's first see if it's false doctrine if it's a false teacher and let's sit down let's debate it let's talk about it because satan wants to get into the minds of ourselves get into our minds undermine the truth to destroy the church he doesn't want the church to be the salt and light in this world he's not bothered with churches that are preaching false gospels he's bothered and concerned with churches that are faithful to the truth he's going to come he's going to attack an attack always comes within. Paul warned us that, that the, the attack will come from within. Wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. Or sheep dressed in wolves' clothing. And they will come and attack us. So we need to find out what is this disturbance. Is it false teaching? When you sit down and as leaders with the false teachers and debate it from the scriptures. And this is what we see now. A great disturbance has arisen 
And here comes our second thing to help us to respond to false doctrine, is there is a discussion. Paul and Barnabas could have said in Church of Antioch, we'll sort it out. Let the Church of Jerusalem sort it out. They're big enough to do it themselves, this mother church. No. There is so much love between the two churches. They go all the way up to Jerusalem, 500 kilometers, and they are welcomed by the church. You see brotherly love. They are welcomed by the apostles. They are welcomed by the elders. And they come together to consider this serious matter. What a lovely meeting. Brothers and sisters coming together. And let's sit down together in Christ's love and listen to one another what we have to say about God's grace. That it's through grace, or by grace, through the Lord Jesus for salvation. Beautiful proverb says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. That's wisdom. These men are full of wisdom. Not full of pride, not full of arrogance, not... This is my way. This is how we're going to do it. They come clothed in Christ's righteousness because they are there to show His love to the world. And they come together. And they come together as a body of believers. As brothers and sisters. There's there's apostles. There's elders. And there's the church. All one in Christ's body to honor Him. There's no selfish ambition or conceit. Just humility. Counting others as more significant than themselves. Looking out for not their own interests in this matter, but for the interest of others. For the interest of Christ and His church. How, how, how interested are we in Christ and His church? How interested are you in Robertson Reformed Community Church? What is your love for this church like? Why are you here? Why do you come here on a Sunday? If you remember, why are you remember? What is your motive? It's good to think about these things. It's good to look at what, how these men, they love God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. And it's passed on to loving their neighbor as themselves. Who's their, themselves are their neighbor. And they're concerned for the truth. And this council called the Jerusalem Council, they meet, they love God, they fight for the truth. And they're there to discuss this truth. Grace. By grace through Jesus Because that's what's at stake. And what else is at stake? The Christian truth, the church, and love and fellowship will all get broken down. So these men, they come, and the church is sitting on, listening to them. Some people say they they met privately, then they met in front of the church. It doesn't matter, they met. And if the church is there, that's a beautiful picture of the church seeing authenticity, seeing transparency. They can see how leaders behave and how they debate the truth. Because it's easy for leaders to live one life in front of you and another life in a meeting. Which you don't see, which I see, and we see as leaders. So it's so beautiful that there's transparency, that there's, that there's authenticity, that they, can, that they can sit down and they can discuss this thing. And after they discuss it, this gives the opportunity for the pastor, which in this situation is the leaders, an elder, an apostle, to stand up and share. And the first person to stand up is Peter in verses 6 to 12. He stands up and he shares looking back what God had done and how he took the gospel of Christ to the Gentiles, that is to Cornelius and his household. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 10. And he tells the council that it was God, not himself, 
who chose him to go to the Gentiles. That through his mouth, he would be a spokesman, he would be a, a holy um, instrument in the Redeemer's hands, that through his mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of God and believe. He is saying, God is the one, according to the counsel of his will and purpose, who deliberately chose the Gentiles to hear the gospel of Christ through my preaching. And believe, thus be saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. When Christ is preached, the Holy Spirit can testify about Christ in the hearts of these Gentiles, in unbelievers' hearts. We, we serve a supernatural God. We, we must embrace the power of the gospel, which is unto salvation. We must praise, embrace the power of, of these words. They're not magical. They, they are real because our God is alive and He's given us power that has come upon us. The Holy Spirit is the one that, that works in us and through us, through His words into the lives. So if we take Christ, then, then the Holy Spirit can testify about Christ in the people's hearts and bring them to salvation. That's His work. He never stops working. Especially those He's chosen are going to be saved, bringing them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as the gospel is preached. And this is what happened to Peter. As he preached the gospel to Cornelius and his household, they were saved. The Holy Spirit came upon them and they were saved. And they were baptized. And in verse 8 of chapter 15 of Acts, God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. There, the Holy Spirit was given to the Gentiles to bear witness that they were truly saved. They did not receive the Spirit by keeping the law, but by leaving in God's word. The fact that they received the Holy Spirit showed that God was sovereign over the whole matter, over the whole process, and brought them to faith in Christ, showing that there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Not to, to tread lightly, to be sensitive, and to say this in love, it is sad when there's still a distinction in churches between colour. Where racism is in a church, it's sad. They haven't heard the gospel of truth. The gospel of truth is to come and break down all these barriers and walls to bring one, two men, Jew and Gentile, into one man. And that's what the gospel of Christ does. Brings everybody from all nations and colours into one true man in Jesus Christ. And they received the Spirit, Paul Peter says, because they believed the Word. And their hearts were cleansed because they put their faith and trust in Christ. And the Holy Spirit came upon them and it was God's grace that cleansed their heart. No amount of washing, no amount of eating, no amount of circumcision can cleanse the heart. No amount of healthy food and, and healthy drinks, no matter how much soap you want to eat, cannot cleanse your heart. The Holy Spirit, He's got to get into you and, and transform that heart. First turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh and then transform that heart, cleanse it and turn it into a Christ-like heart. 
Where you can love Him and love the people that rub you up the wrong way in this world. Because it's all grace. Scripture says, in Him we have redemption. Through what? Through rituals? Through ceremonies? No. Through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of His grace. It's from beginning, it's grace. To the day we die, it's grace. Grace that saves us, grace that sustains us. Read that in, in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Read about the grace that was given to us. That appeared in who? In Christ Jesus. And that same grace sanctifies us when we read the scriptures. We're allowed to transform us. So Peter is saying here as well that their hearts were cleansed, their sins were forgiven by grace alone through Jesus Christ alone. No ritual no ceremonial laws, nothing. Therefore, why are you testing God? Why are you going back to the law by placing uh, upon their neck a yoke which our fathers and us could not bear? A yoke is something the farmers used with ox or the cattle. It was a plank and had a little bit of an arch. And you got two ox and you put this yoke on top so that they could work together. If the one ox was stronger than the other one, it would break its neck. It would kill it. That's what the law was doing to the Jews. It was far stronger than what they could handle. But Jesus said, come to me all you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for your souls. Why? Because I'm humble and gentle and my yoke is easy. And now they're taking the yoke of Jesus away and putting the yoke of the law back on their necks, which is going to crush them. That's what we do to ourselves when we say it's God plus this in our lives. When we add to the Bible. When we say, you know, we Christians now, we can't watch TV because it's sin. That's illegalism. That is rubbish. I know a few friends when they got saved and the first thing they threw out their house was a TV. Then they expect you to throw their TV out the house. What rubbish. We sin. Same with a bottle of wine. I can put a bottle of wine there. It's not going to do any harm to me. Give it to someone. See what it does. It can destroy his life. Or he can drink it in moderation. So we, we come and we add so much, so much like a burden, like this yoke on upon people, which is all lies. We must take the truth that Jesus taught us and, and, and allow Him to teach us. Let's yoke with Him. When you yoke with Jesus, you're telling that person you're a disciple of Jesus and you're going to submit to Him and sit under His teaching so that He alone can teach you the truth alone. Not Jesus plus what other men are saying. You can listen to what other men are saying, but be like the Bereans and search the Scriptures to see if they are speaking the truth in love. Or they're trying to call you to follow them. So this Peter, this wonderful Peter, he stands up. Because he's saying the law cannot purify the sinner's heart. Impart the gift of the Holy Spirit or give eternal life. It is by grace through Jesus Christ alone. What the law could not do, God did through his own son. Someone said the gospel is fundamentally about the grace of God displayed in the person and work of the Lord Jesus, referring to the historic expression of God's grace in the cross 
and the resurrection of Jesus. And then someone else goes along to say that whenever and wherever the gospel of God's grace is preached, God himself enables belief and sends his spirit upon those whom he chooses. It's the gospel of grace. Let's respect God's word. Let's embrace this truth. And what happened when, when, when Peter took the gospel of grace to Cornelius' household? What happened? They were saved. And he's telling them, look, this is what happened to the Gentiles. And Peter carries authority because back in, in 11, um, back in, 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 in chapter 11, Peter had, had shared, sorry, I've just got to find my, my, my verse here. Peter had shared in the past what happened. Verse 17, and then, gave, and then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was, and that I could stand in God's way. And when they heard these things, they, they fell silent. Peter went and told the church of Jerusalem how the Gentiles were saved, back in Acts chapter 11. And when they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life through by grace through Jesus. And yeah, he has a second chance to, to repeat what he has said. And it carries weight because they agree. And they can only agree again. And guess what happens when he finishes speaking? Guess what happens? And all the assembly falls silent. After Peter had said in verse 11, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Just like I told you back in Acts chapter 11. And all the assembly fell silent. And that means that all the assembly were convinced and agreed with what he was saying. And then Barnabas and Paul stand up and they share their experience. Their first missionary experience. How they took the gospel of the truth, the gospel of Christ, into Asia Minor. And how they... The, the, that, that people were saved and miracles were seen and, and these miracles were proof that God was working with them that they were God's chosen messengers to preach the gospel of God to these Gentiles miracles authenticated that they were true messengers sent by God and their message was the truth salvation is by grace alone through Jesus alone and God approved this by what? saving these people and showing signs and wonders. So Peter and, uh, and Paul and Barnabas have a very short time just to share. Or well, we don't actually know the time, to be honest. We just know it was, there's a few words given to them between verses 12 and 14, 13. And after they had finished speaking, well, who stands up? James. Who's James? Well, that's Jesus' half-brother. He stands up. He's one of the elders of the church. He's probably the pastor of, of the church. He wrote the book of James. He's not an apostle. And he is so faithful that he's listened to Peter talking from past experience. The church knew about this because of Peter already explained it to them. Then he listened to Barnabas and Paul and then he stands up and he does what all of us should do he builds his argument on scripture 
Not in his opinion, not in his imagination, not what he thinks. Listen to me, guys. This is what I believe. This is what I'm going to tell you. I'm your pastor. Listen to me. No, he doesn't talk like that. He doesn't draw attention to himself. There's no authority in him. The authority is in what he's going to say because it's God's word. And it's God's word he trusts in. So the Holy Spirit can do his work as he talks. And he quotes Amos chapter 9 verses 11 to 12. Affirming God's plan to save the Gentiles as Gentiles. Calling them by his name without making them become like the Jews first. In their religious practices. In verses 14, or in verse 14 of Acts chapter 15, James summarizes Peter's testimony. He says how God first visited the Gentiles to take them a people for his name. And, and that's what he says there. Simeon, which is Simon, Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. I agree, it's true. Now how hard this would have been for a Jew to understand. Where in Exodus chapter 19 verse 5 we read of Israel's calling and identity. The Lord says out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. A people for my name. Now the Jewish people have to share this with Gentiles. And they say no they must first be circumcised. First they must learn to keep the law. They can be saved. They must become a proselyte. Imagine them hearing this. Now that the Gentiles are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, now they have the same meaning as us. By His name they shall be known. How difficult. Especially for these religious leaders, the Pharisees, to grasp this. And it teaches us here, when we, when we, when we share the gospel with people, it, it, it helps us to be sensitive and it helps us to, to be patient with people when they don't understand us. They're not going to understand what we say, especially if they're blind to the truth. Especially if the God of this age has blinded their minds. They're not going to understand us. We need to just be patient and speak the truth and, and let the Holy Spirit do His work in a mysterious way, which we cannot see. We've got to trust God to bring that seed to fruition. But we keep sowing the seed, we keep watering the seed, and we pray that God grows that seed in that person's heart, brings it to fruition, to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. But be patient. Be patient with people. They're not going to get their minds around some of the truths that come from Scripture alone. But the question is, was God a just God? Was God a fair God? Did the Pharisees, did the Jews know about that the Gentiles were going to come in and also be called a people for His name? Yes, they did. Because James says, and with this, the words of the prophets agree. With what Peter says, the prophets agree. I agree. And the prophets agree. And therefore he quotes Amos. He could have quoted many other prophets. Like Zechariah. Zechariah says, Many nations will be joined with the Lord on the day and will become my people. And he's pointing to the Gentiles. And he could have quoted from Zechariah. Why? He did not because Amos carried two beautiful truths. 
two more powerful truths that they had to be reminded that somewhere along the line they forgot this truth in the Old Testament. And the first truth is in verse 16 of Acts chapter 15. God promises first to restore David's fallen tent and rebuild its ruins. This is a prophecy that God would fulfill his covenant with David, that a king would sit on his throne, the future king of course, and that will be Jesus Christ, the son of David. It's through him that this, 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 this king is going to sit and rebuild these ruins. Rebuild a new temple. And he is the new temple. And we're all stones, living stones that have been built into this temple. Jesus, who is the true tabernacle, the true temple. And this all happened because this is a prophecy of his resurrection and exaltation of Christ. Where he's now seated next to the right hand of the Father. This is all pointing to Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection and his ascension. And the seed of David, that he, or the seed is established, or the kingdom is established through David's seed. And that is Jesus. And the other truth is verse 17 of Acts chapter 15, that a Gentile remnant will seek the Lord. In other words, through the Davidic Christ, Gentiles will be a people by his name, that's God's name. They will not need to be circumcised or to become a Jewish proselyte to be a people of God's name. That is all being nullified, obsolete. I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father but through me, says Jesus. There is no other name that you must bow down to in heaven and on earth. And the only name is Jesus. In our home fellowship group, we're looking at the tabernacle. And you notice that the tabernacle has one entrance. One entrance into the outer court. One entrance into the holy the holy place and another entrance into the most holy place and that's one entrance is telling us there's only one way to God the tabernacle doesn't have many entrances and Jesus that's a picture of Jesus saying I am the way and the gate I am the way and you come through the gate the one gate not the many gates and you jump over the fence and you can jump over this and get in as you please no I'm the way and the truth and life no one comes to Father but through me. No one can get to God unless they went through that front of the tabernacle entrance into the outer court and then offering up their sacrifices to the priests and then the high priest later would go into the um, Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. So here we have the Davidic Christ. Gentiles will be a people for his name. They will need not to be circumcised or to become a Jewish proselyte to be a people for God's name. James used Amos because he knew there was a time when this prophecy would be fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And we've got to leave it at that. So, the beautiful thing is when there is a false doctrine, there will be a disturbance. But I think it's important for the leadership to gather those people, debated, disputed. There will be dissensions. There will be, there will be tension. But the most important thing is, if we're in Christ, there's character that comes with that debate. Love, tenderness, gentleness, self-control, patience. 
And then we've debated these people. We can sit down and discuss it with each other in the church. And then the pastor or one of the elders or leaders can stand up and say, this is the truth built on scripture alone. So will we look to the cross to help us to respond to false teachers? Will we look to what God's word says? Will we give the people an opportunity to share their their doctrine, what they want to tell us? So will we look to the cross where Jesus died, knowing there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, which is by scripture alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, all for God's glory alone. That at the end of the day, salvation belongs to the Lord. Will we be reminded of Revelation 7, verse 9? And this is what these Jews needed to be reminded of. Will we respond to false teaching, remembering that after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and all people and all languages standing before the throne, before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And to get into that situation, to be singing with those people, it is by grace through Jesus Christ to be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again that we are reminded by these beautiful truths in Scripture. Somehow the language of salvation has slipped through our minds. And we kind of bring in a little bit of Scripture and a little bit of our figment of our imagination, how we're supposed to be saved. But we know from this passage and other passages in Acts that it's all by grace. It's unmerited. We don't deserve anything. It's the riches of your grace that you lavish on us. And we, I thank you for that, Father. But please forgive us when we, when we come up with our own pluses and how we add and how we tell people what they must do to remain saved or to show they're saved. So, Father, forgive us and help us, please, to to sow the truth, the gospel of truth, into the hearts and minds of people so that the love of Christ will compel us to do these things. But thank you, Father, that we can learn from this passage how to respond to false doctrine. And Lord willing, Father, we can meet again and listen to another two truths, how to respond to false doctrine that are in Acts chapter 15. So that we can be a faithful church, a godly church, not a perfect church, but a church where we can at least sin under the, the word and, and obey the word and bring you glory and honor through obedience. Help us, Father, to practice sound doctrine in this church for sound living. Help me, Father, as the pastor, to remain faithful and truthful to what you what the scriptures say. Forgive me if I say anything wrong, Father. Have mercy upon me and have mercy upon us all. But help us to, to, to fight the truth. When a false teacher comes into our lives, into our homes, or wherever, help us to have the boldness to speak the truth, to fight with scripture, the sword of the spirit, which is the word. So, Father, thank you now for this opportunity. We can always go back to your word, which humbles us and teaches us how to, how to contend for the faith that was handed down to us by these truthful men 
So, Father, thank you again now for your word. Thank you again for the, the scriptures that are God-breathed and are profitable to help us to bear fruit in every good work. Pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.